0: Let's pray. Father, we lift up the Maddox to you. we thank you for the gift of Hannah's life. Lord, that family from the moment they walked through these doors was a witness to your grace and a witness to your mercy and the way that you so lovingly care for us. We want to thank you for Ben and Kathy for their sacrifice day and night behind the scenes to love and nurture not only Hannah but Peter and Andy as well. Thank you that they knew that Hannah was a gift from you and we honour and thank you for their faithfulness in protecting her, in caring for her and nurturing for her. Father, in this week and the next few days, we pray that your strength and your sustaining would give them all that they need. We pray for Peter and Andy. We ask that they would know your presence personally. That they would have a deep assurance of Hannah being with you forever. That they would remember your goodness and your faithfulness to their family. We pray for them and their extended loved ones on Wednesday and on Friday. That your name would continue to be glorified through their family and their witness to you. Please be with them in the day-to-day adjustments, their home, their lifestyle. Everything, in so many ways, supported Hannah. And there are memories wherever they look. Please give them wisdom and discernment Help them to know that they don't need to rush any processes. So we give thanks for Hannah's influence in our church. May we always remember her and thank you for her life. Lord, all around the world, there are so many people who are persecuted for their faith. Last weekend, the atrocities that happened in Sri Lanka affected so many people. We pray for your peace in that situation and in that nation. Thank you that you reign over all. And then there will be a time when you bring everything under Christ. Help us not to be ashamed of our faith in a free, safe country. May we live out a simple faith of acting justly and loving mercy and walking humbly with you, Lord. This week, as teachers, children, youth, parents, prepare for another term, we pray that you would bless the children in our church, give them deep, loving friendships, bless them in their studies and their learning, inspire them with your creativity May they be lights in their schools and kindies and high schools. May the truth of you in their lives be evident. And for all those who help and support children through this journey, give them patience, wisdom, and deep connections with the children. Thank you for the ministry. In schools, that happens. We pray a blessing on all of the families in our church. We lift these things up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Joe, for those prayers. Very easy to say amen to them. Uh, thank you, musicians, for great songs this morning. It just really lifted my spirits. I'm sure it did all of you. And thank you uh, to all of you for being a church which hungers after the Lord and loves him. I just love being a part of this church. And um, uh, this morning... Uh, as I share with you, I hope it and um, trust that it's uh, useful for you. Last time I was stood here, um, I was doing all this fiddling around like this. I had some marvelous advice from Rob. Put your hands in your pocket, David. He said, "I think that's probably the best thing of advice I've had for a long while." But I've got. To, I'm not going to rely too much on this. I'm going to keep my hands out of my pockets and try and keep them away from the microphone. Today I wanted to talk about God's purpose and the process um, which he undertakes to bring those purposes about. And that seems to be quite a huge subject, so obviously in my little mind I'm not going to be able to... uh, Uh, do justice to it but there are some things that I'd like to say when I uh, had a a home group some time ago, well not that long ago, um, I was talking about some of those processes that, as we shared lunch together and almost in accord Anne and Lynn and Jim, none of which are here today, said you must preach on that next time time you get a chance. And as it happened, Sam had only asked me a few days before that to preach again. So uh, that will come out later as I uh, talk about these things today. I'm also going to take little sections so that initially uh, you might have some trouble seeing how it all fits together. But let's just pray. Heavenly Father, uh, as I talk today, I do pray that your Holy Spirit... Will grant discernment to those who are hearing, and uh, the wood, hay, and the stubble that I might say, Lord, let that be burnt away, and those things which are gold and precious, uh, enhance them to their hearts, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 1, which seems to be a good place to start, <coughs> is uh, a wonderful, succinct word about the creation. and in that chapter is uh, set out uh, the Lord's creative activity, uh, both of the universe and all everything within it, and also uh, the creation of man. And as it's rec- recounted it says God said it was good. Until he gets to man, he says, it's very good. And we see this physical creation come into being in that that chapter. But there's also a comment there about what he has given and what his purpose is for man. I'd just like to read that from Genesis 1, 26 to 28. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Dominion, sovereignty, uh, authority is what he placed in the hand of man over the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him Male and female created he them. God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. What a fantastic thing. God gave into our hands, into man's hands, Adam and Eve's. Adam, whose whose seed we come from, uh, he gave into the hands of humankind this authority on the earth. But chapters 2 and 3 talk about another aspect of the creation and it is to do with morality. Apart from the physical laws which we live by, jump out of a 30-storey building, with no parachute, the end result is we know. Uh, unless you happen to fall on a bush or some other thing, which which uh, uh, changes the circumstances. But we find in chapters two and three the story of the Garden of Eden, the story of man's awakening to morality. It tells us of the serpent that God placed in the centre of this garden. Two trees: trees of life and the and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But everything else there, we were able to eat freely. He didn't ban us from the tree of life, but he suggested to Adam and Eve that if they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they should surely die. Now there happened to be a serpent in the garden, and that we read about that in Genesis three one to four. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which Jehovah God had made. And he said unto the woman, Has God said, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, Of the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the the woman you shall not die for God knows that in the day you eat of it then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as God knowing good and evil. Now I find this area these few chapters incredibly intriguing. We know that the Serpent well, he we either lied, or we didn't know what he was talking about, but because we know that when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, death came. But in Genesis 3, 22, 23, we read these words. And Jehovah God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. And there the sentence trails off. It's not finished. It goes on to say, Therefore, Jehovah God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So here's a, a very interesting thing. When the serpent said... To the woman, you shall be as God, knowing good and evil. This is confirmed in verses 22, 23, where God, the Godhead, and the Godhead says, behold, the man has become as one of us. What is happening here? Eden, this beautiful place. In the middle of it is this tree of knowledge of good and evil. There's a serpent there. What on earth is the serpent doing there? Why did God let a serpent be in the middle of the garden for goodness' sake? Why did he? Why didn't he stick a fence around this tree of knowledge of good and evil to prevent Adam and Eve from getting there? These are questions that I ask, and. I don't know whether you ask them, but it seems to me this is a very interesting thing. That God places Adam and Eve in a garden where he has access, they have access to this tree of good knowledge and he doesn't prohibit them from it. And he also allows this serpent to be there to beguile Eve and for Eve to beguile Adam to partake of this. So I want to leave that thought on one hand and I want to look at another thought and that is that Jesus is the only way for our redemption. This is expressed many times in the New Testament. In John 46, it says Jesus said unto him, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one cometh to Unto the Father, but by me. Pretty plain, straightforward. In Acts 4.12 we read, He is the stone which was set at naught of you the builders, which is, was made the head of the corner, or the, the cornerstone, and in none other is there salvation. For neither is there any other name under heaven that is given among men wherein we must be saved. Well, there again in the second of Timothy, chapter 1, 8 to 10. Be not ashamed, therefore, of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. This is Paul talking to Timothy. But suffer hardship with the gospel according to the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before times eternal, but has now been made manifested by the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus. So for me, this is part of the clue. Way back, prior to creation, within the Godhead, Jesus has always been set apart, the Son of God has always been set apart for our salvation, it seems to me that that gives a different slant to what's happening in the garden. God knew beforehand that we were going he was going to place us in a situation in which we had this tree of knowledge before us. He knew that when we ate of it, we were going to become more like him, not in nature and character, but more like him in regard to good and evil, the knowledge of it. So, what's the purpose of all this? What's he getting at here? In John 1.12 we read, But as many as received him, that is Jesus, to them gave he the right to become children of God, even to them that believe on his name. That's a wonderful Verse. Through Jesus, we have the right to become children of God. I believe this is substantially the divine purpose that God has for you and me. In John 3.16 we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and you all know it, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have eternal life. That's very interesting. We'd, you know, I used to I read that verse, oh hallelujah, praise the Lord, God has come, he's given Jesus his son for me that I might have eternal life, wonderful, go to heaven, be with him. How lovely, it's fantastic. The word there for God so loved the world is not for God so loved you and me, he did, that's within, we're in the creation. That's full. The word there is cosmos, so God so loved his creation, so loved what he's, what he's, he's created, that he, gave his, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. The word for eternal there is, the, I don't know how you pronounce it, it's Aeonian. Graham, you did not know how to pronounce it. Is it Aeonian? Aeonian. Aeonian life. What is that Aeonian life? The Aeonian life is the life that Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit enjoy together. This is the life that we're called to. This is the life that the Lord wants to give in us. Why does he want to give that life into us? So that we can manage the cosmos. You see what I'm saying? This is his purpose. He wants us to have life so that we can manage the cosmos. So that we, we can manage it in love and in kindness and in gentleness, uh, in beauty. We can't do without him. They learned that in the garden. Soon the they of the tree of good knowledge and left to their own devices, uh, things started to happen. And we've seen the results of that ever since uh, within the world. We've talked about them, prayed about them this morning. So, Titus, Titus 3, 4-8. But when the kindness of God our Saviour and his love toward man appeared, not by works done in righteousness, which we did ourselves, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, That being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The only life. We have become heirs to the life that the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit enjoy. Romans 8, 14, 21 says... For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Sorry, ladies, the word sons, children of God. It says sons in my version. And it's not talking about gender here so much as relationship. It's your relationship with the Father. And you can have this, we can all have that relationship. Paul said that in, in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, nor male nor female. In our relationship to the Father, it's like a son. Ancient fathers wanted their sons to be like them. Our Heavenly Father wants us to be like Him. This is, this is His purpose. This is his, that's our joy. That is our fulfilment. So, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you receive not the spirit of bondage, again gain unto fear, but ye receive the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, to be an heir, it seems to me, that it, that it, it, it suggests that everything that belongs to the Father becomes ours. And there, in our context, I believe that's everything that he is, everything that his nature is, everything that is, is to be ours by his indwelling in us. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. Now here's an important point. For the earnest expectation of the creation, the whole creation, waits for the revealing of the sons of God. So the creation is to be fulfilled is waiting for the revelation of the sons, of the appearing of the sons of God. Why? So it can be managed properly. For the, for the creation was not subjected to vanity, not of its own will, but by reason of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the liberty of the glory of the children of God. Hey, we've got a fantastic future here <laughs> in Jesus. I want to read this a little bit to you. I wrote it down, I think it's, it'd be better if I just read it. Brethren, this is not a scripture, this is just something I've written. Brethren, children of God are not brought into being by a snap of God's fingers. Where free will is involved, it cannot be that way. We are involved in the serious business and God's master plan. Men and women come to be the heirs of the kingdom through a way of failure and weakness. Through an understanding of their own poverty of spirit. Spirit. Through an awakening, a realising that only in God can they have life. That from our physical life in which we find ourselves, the coming of Jesus and our spiritual birth, this creation, I believe, is the perfect medium for maturing children of God in the ways of love. Left to our own resources, the knowledge of good and evil results in death. But when we look to God, all things work together for our good in leading us into sonship. This is God's purpose for us and the creation. You know the story of the prodigal son. The son goes to the father and said, I want my inheritance. And the father, what's he do? Gives him his inheritance. He doesn't say, "Oh, look, I'm sorry, sorry, whatever his name is. I, 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 I don't think you'd be able to handle it. I don't think you'd be he'd spend it wisely." No, he doesn't do that. He gives him. He gives him his inheritance. The son goes away, off to these far places lives a debaucherous life and discovers it's not a very good thing. And in the midst of that, he suddenly realises that his father's place is a much better place. And he turns his heart towards the home. And the father's already been waiting for him. It's marvellous. I think it's something like that. We had to discover that uh, knowing good and evil in our own strength is not a good thing. But when, it, when we put it to the Lord, uh, then it's really good. <coughs> now we're told in Romans 5 verse 10, and Sam quoted it a couple of times, not the full verse, in regard, which was very appropriate, he quoted it on the Good Friday when we were here. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The actual full verse goes a little bit more, and that's a little bit more than I want to talk about, because it says, For if, for if, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, how much more shall we be saved by his life, active and vital within us? Now, to me, uh the salvation that we receive in Christ is the beginning of a process of being restored to or being made sons. <clears throat> We're restored to our destiny. Um, quite a number of years ago, about 40-odd 40, 40 years ago, I, I think I was just having a time of fellowship with the Lord. I was reading uh, the passage from Actually, I can't remember whether it was Samuel or Kings, but it was about David, King David. And King David had, um, some of you would uh, know the story, he had, he had behaved very badly. He'd looked out his window and seen Bathsheba across the way and Bathsheba was the other man's wife, and he, um, but he, 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 he liked Bathsheba so he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Then, when the husband got in the way, he sent him off on the battlefield so he could get killed. Uh, not a very wonderful fellow, David, in some aspects. But they had a child, and the child was sick. And uh, David was mourning and praying for the redemption of that, for the save, salvation, of that, not the salvation, for the saving of that child from the sickness. And for some reason or other, a little verse really. Touch me. And uh, it says that the servants came and told David the baby had died. And the verse that affected me was it said David picked himself up from the ground where he'd been prostrate, washed himself, anointed himself, changed his clothes and went in to worship. And God's, I believe, said to me, they are the three they are just the three essential elements in your growth into sonship. To be washed, anointed, and clothed. Now, if you look at the scripture, there are all sorts of passages, all sorts of little passages we come up, and talk about three things of three. Ravi Zacharias uses the words redeemed, righteous and worship. But in the scripture it talks about being called, chosen and faithful. Or, as Christ says, ask, seek and knock. Jesus says I am the way, the truth and the life. In the Lord's prayer we so for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. We have a baptism in water, a baptism of the Holy Spirit and a baptism of fire. One of the, one of the pieces of scripture I just say I love and I've driven my, drive my wife up the wall with it probably is the story of a passage about the tabernacle of God, Moses' tabernacle. And I've spoken about this to the church before and I'm sorry to those who, who have heard it before but uh, it was in regard to that that I was talking to the home group. But In the tabernacle of Moses there was just a wonderful pattern depicting the nature and character of Jesus if you look at the scriptures about it. And as we are his brothers it is also a pattern for us. The furnaces of the tabernacle typify elements of God's nature and character. Wonderful to study. It's a sublime image. But there again in the, in the picture of the tabernacle you have a court of the congregation, the holy place and the holy of holies. Now I'm not going to talk about those things now but if you, if you have a chance and want to look at those things you'll see how they, they interlock with each other. But for me the very best illustration of our growth to sonship is given by the Beatitudes as spoken by Jesus. And I see these as a, as a progressive thing. The first beatitude is, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's where it begins, poverty of spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It comes the great promise. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourning is regretting to what we were, looking for what we can be they shall be comforted. That is the great salvation work of Jesus Christ. Next word is, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then it goes, when you you mourn, when you regret it, the the meekness talks about being teachable, wanting to learn, wanting to know. It goes on to say, blessed are are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The next stage is blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And then blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There is another one, blessed, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are us in, us in fulfilling our, our role. But it's a wonderful transition and this is what God wants to do in all of our lives. It's, it's a it's a transition that's reflected in God's, in Christ's prayer to the disciples. The Lord's, what we call the Lord's Prayer. If you follow it through, can we just have that up, please, Dave? We used to say this a lot in church, and uh, that's not quite so much these days. But it's a fantastic prayer. The disciples asked the Lord, "How do we pray?" And He said, "Pray like this: Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name." <clears throat> okay, "Hallowed" means holy. It's a recognition of God's holiness. We see our own poverty. We say, Lord, you are holy. In our understanding of what what we are and what we want to be, we say, thy kingdom come. We regret what we are. We want to be like that. We want your kingdom to come. Then we say, thy will be done. This is our hunger, our, our desire for see uh, in our meekness we, we, we want to give up our ways and see his ways we want his ways to come to where? to earth as it is in heaven <coughs> hungry and thirsting after we say give us this day our daily bread Jesus said to Satan man does not live by bread alone but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God give us this our daily bread give us the word Lord of your life and your nature Blessed are the mercy, and forgive us our debts as we forgive us our debtors. Do you see how this links in with the does that make any sense to you? How it links in with the beatitudes? This is, this is the heart of the person who wants to be like what Christ is saying. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. In other words, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. For the light is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Forever. I hope that makes some sense to you. God is in the business of producing sons, children of God, heirs to the kingdom. This is where our focus should be. I think when I preached some months ago we talked about living in the Beulah land that i married, on the high ground. This is... This should be our motivation. All the works of love come out of that motivation to be like him and to our character and nature to be transformed. We are told that he transforms us from glory into glory. Uh, nothing more glorious than to be like our Heavenly Father. I'm going to ask you just to say the Lord's Prayer with me. And uh, then after I've got a little song, which is, I hope you'll you be happy to sing with me. What say we do it together? Our Father, which art in heaven, in thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And the next one, thanks Dave. I was lovely to sing that butterfly song. The Church of the, Rede- the Redeemer, I think, Living Waters. Actually that was, uh, Sam said that her p- parents would have sung that, that's right, but grandparents also sang it. And grandparents also, but way back, and when we sang little songs, way back when we were children, we sang little songs like, Build on the rock and not upon the sands, Build on the rock, the rock that ever stands, etc. This one is, I'll just sing it to you, and then uh, perhaps you could sing it with me. It talks about being a son Not my will, but thine be done. And that the fullness of the sun may dwell within this heart that I have offered Thee, so that everything I do becomes the thing that pleases You. How a father I would be, a son indeed. You happy to sing that? Not my will, but thine be done, and that the fullness of the sun may dwell within this heart that I have offered you, so that everything I do becomes the thing that pleases you. Have a father, I would be a son indeed. Thank you, the Lord bless you.
2: Thank you so much, David. Just, uh, it, isn't it wonderful to be Part of a church where we can all uh, participate and all use our gifts. And Dave, I just want to honour you in the way that you uh, not only uh, share, but you live your life. I think uh, you're an inspiration to so many of us. Uh, you talked about blessed are those who seek after righteousness, and they'll be filled. Us, I, I see that in your life. I see you're your seeking and you're desiring after the things of God, and that is a is an inspiration to me, and I'm sure so so many here. God's desire is that we be sons and daughters, that uh, everything that is Christ's becomes ours. Uh, All the riches of heaven are available to you and to I. Why and how? Because of the work that Jesus has done on our behalf us. He offers the way to the Father. and We're going to take up communion now, uh, ju- but just before we do that, just uh, a couple of uh, thoughts. As uh, Dave was speaking, I was reminded of being in a schoolyard pick. Has anyone been in a sports day or, or something where there's two captains And the two captains pick who they want in their team one by one. And they normally go after the most athletic or the most skillful that they want on their team. And then the next best gets on the next guy's team. And and there's a, a pick to be on the team. And it's based on ability or effort. You know, God has picked you to be his son and his daughter not because of anything that you've done or any ability that you have but because he wants you to be his child and I think that's just a precious thing and that's what uh, Dave spoke of the poor in spirit that when we understand how weak we are and how much we don't have to offer yet still he chooses us and he desires us to know him as our father and to be in his family forever and ever. And that is such a beautiful thing. I just want to read to you a passage from John. This is Jesus speaking. Uh, do you know the, the early Christians were accused of being cannibals? It's true. Uh, the the people didn't understand what, what they were going on about uh, when it came to communion because they're talking about eating somebody and, and drinking of the blood. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you, ha- you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. And what what is Jesus actually actually saying here? He's saying that there is food that we eat and drink that sustain us in our life. And yet uh, there is an end that comes with our humanity. Yet there is a feeding and a food and a drink that is a spiritual feeding and a spiritual drink that we drink that Gives us everlasting life. And that is available to us because of what Jesus has done. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Now, in John, that's a common phrase as I'm in you and you are in me. There's a connection there. And so, as we take communion and as we eat of the bread, and and drink of the cup, we're actually taking Jesus into our life. And that is what transforms us. We cannot become sons or become like Christ in and of ourselves. It is Jesus in us that transforms ourselves and our hearts. Uh, into his likeness. And that is the great uh, beauty and wonder of communion. So I'm going to ask the uh, stewards to come and to distribute the elements. And as they do that, I'm going to read to you from uh, Matthew I did have it marked out here. There we go. Thank you. While they were eating... This is Jesus and his disciples. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks and broke it. And gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day, when I will drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And so how do we receive sonship? How do we receive uh, to be called children of God? And it is simply to believe in what Jesus has done for us. That Jesus' death on the cross and his rising again has made a way for us to be with him for all eternity. And what is our part? All we have to do is believe. All we have to do is believe. And so in taking the bread and taking the cup, we're actually acknowledging what he has done. And we're actually believing in his work on our behalf. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you died in our place we thank you that your desire is to come and take your place in our hearts and that by believing in you, you come and take residence and that salvation is not just an end game and it's finished and that's it, but you desire us to be transformed. You desire us to grow and to become Sons and daughters in your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus, that you saw us from all eternity and you desired us to be in your family. Thank you, Jesus, for your work. Thank you for your body that was broken and your blood that was shed, that we might be adopted into your family and be yours forever. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us eat and drink together. I'm going to invite the musicians up now we're just going to sing a a final song together it's a song we know well and yet fits in so beautifully amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I can see you now I can see the love in your eyes that you'd lay yourself down and that you'd raise up the poor in
1: spirit, the broken, to life.
2: Let's stand together and sing.